What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Primetime Sports Podcast, hosted by Joey Mayalari. So tonight's episode is the time slot for the playbook with Joey and Zach. Unfortunately, Zach had some homework to do, so it'll just be me tonight. So I'm just going to upload this to my podcast on Spotify, the Primetime Sports Podcast, which I did over the summer. And I do hair on Tuesday nights from 7 8 on WZBC AM Sports Radio. So tonight, as I said, typically the playbook with Joey and Zach from 8 to 9, but it'll just be me tonight, so I'll just make it the Primetime Sports Podcast. So tonight didn't have too much planned, so there's going to be a lot of time for call-ins and stuff at the end, probably about a half hour maybe uh, at the end of this, uh, that anyone could call in and just come on and talk whatever they want. Um, so for the beginning half of it, though, I'm going to talk about the NBA, give you guys my NBA 2022-2023 season predictions, which I meant to do last week. And the tough thing was last week I just didn't really have the time uh, to really give all my predictions. I wanted to break down every single team's record and my predictions for that and who I think is going to be on the first team, second team, third team, all NBA, coach of the year, MVP, rookie of the year, runner-ups of all these. I really you know, didn't really have the time last week to put all that together. So tonight I'll give you guys my predictions for that. Uh, over the last week or so I did that. So it was good um, you know, being able to take some time and make sure I you know, got everything uh, down. So anyways – I took the last week, got all that figured out. Uh, Now I'm going to give my predictions for everything. So I'll start off with MVP, the biggest award in the NBA besides winning the NBA championship. MVP, I would go with LeBron James. I think LeBron James is still the best player in the the NBA. I think he's still the best player. But at the end of the day, they do take team record into account heavily nowadays. And I think I have the Lakers at 42 and 40 in my predictions. So I do not think he wins MVP, although I do think he's very well deserving of it. My MVP in the NBA this year is John Morant. I think John Morant wins MVP this year. I think Joel Embiid is a close runner-up with LeBron James. I think both those guys will be in the conversation the whole year. That's my top three right there. John Morant, Joel Embiid, LeBron James. And then for some dark horse guys, I think Anthony Edwards, Minnesota Timberwolves, forward, very great uh, guard forward. He does both. Really a shooting guard, but he can play a little small forward. I think he's going to average around 24 to 25 points per game. I think he's the future of the NBA. I don't think he's going to be the MVP this year, but I think in a year or two from now, he's going to be in the top three to five conversation. I think even this year, he's a dark horse candidate. I think he's a dark horse candidate this year to win MVP. Very interested to see what he does this year for the Timberwolves. The Timberwolves are a team I'm very high on this year. I'm very high on the Timberwolves. I think they will be in the Western Conference semifinals this year, and I think they'll lose to either the Clippers or the Warriors, depending on which, which way my seeding goes. I think they'll lose to the Clippers in the Western Conference semifinals. But I think they're going to have a really good year. So I get Anthony Edwards as a dark horse guy to watch out for. And then Paul George as well. Paul George, one of the crispest players in the NBA all around. Can play great defense. Can put up 25 points a game. Give you five to six rebounds, seven rebounds a game. Six assists, a couple steals, and a block. He hustles every single time he's in the game. Uh, and one thing I love about Paul George is... You can always rely on him in a big moment. No moment is too big for Paul George to succeed in. So I'm excited to see what he does this year for that Clippers team. I think he'll be in the conversation, in the MVP conversation throughout the whole year. I think he's going to average around 26 points per game, eight rebounds, six assists, and a steal and a half a game. I think he's going to be in that conversation with LeBron James, John Morant, and Joel Embiid. And then obviously my dark horse is Anthony Edwards. For every other uh, award, I really only have one person in mind. So... At the end of the day, it was really just MVP. I you know, had three or four guys uh, in mind besides John Morant winning. So rookie of the year, we got Keegan Murray, Sacramento Kings. Uh, draft pick for him this past year, fourth overall pick in the draft. Had a very good career at Iowa. Was one of the best players in the country last year. And already off to a hot start this year in the NBA. Did not play on opening night against the Trailblazers. But on October 22nd, 
So a few nights ago now for the Clippers, against the Clippers, he played for the Kings. 19 points of 7-10 shooting, 3-6 shooting from 3, 5 rebounds, 2 assists, and 2 blocks. Against the Warriors the following night, so Monday night, or Sunday night that is, 38 minutes, 16 points, 6 of 14 from the field, 4 of 10 from 3, 4 rebounds, and a steal. No blocks there, but I think he's a great player. I'm excited to see what he does this year for that Kings team. One guy to watch out for, obviously, uh, would be Jaden Ivey. I think he'd be my runner-up uh, in that conversation. Paulo Boncaro on the Magic is catching a lot of people's eyes. I think he's a very good player, but I think Ivey and Keegan Murray both have better years, but I have Murray winning Rookie of the Year. Very big fan of Ivey, though. What Ivey can do going down the lane, he can create his own shot. Can give you 15 points, hit some threes, give you a clutch layup. Not afraid to drive down the lane. I really like his game. I think the Pistons team is set up well for the future. I think I have them in a play-in game this year, but I think they are set up very well for the future. So next up, I have Defensive Player of the Year. I think Rudy Gobert wins this. Minnesota Timberwolves. Now he was traded from the Timberwolves or from the Utah Jazz to the Timberwolves uh, this past offseason. For crazy uh, draft day, or not draft day, uh, trade package uh, before the draft. It was a ton of draft picks. Uh, traded over from that Jazz team or from that Timberwolves team to the Jazz. It worked out for that Jazz team. Obviously, they were going to rebuild and trade Donovan Mitchell. Why not trade a guy like Rudy Gobert as well? They traded him in July. So after the NBA draft for Patrick Beverly, Malik Beasley, Jared Vanderbilt, Leandro Balmero, and the draft rights to Walker Kessler in addition to four first-round picks and a 2026 first-round pick swap. But if you look what he's done over his career, he's been a great player in the NBA his whole career. I think Rudy Gobert is one of the most underrated players in the NBA. I talked about it over the summer in one of my episodes that after the, that he was traded from that Jazz team to the Timberwolves, everyone was saying how horrible a trade it was. And Gobert isn't worth that much. Worth that much. Yes, I, don't, I agree with you. He's probably not worth that much. Not many players are going to be worth that much anyways in the NBA. Unless it's you know, Kevin Durant or Giannis or LeBron James. Or LeBron even at this point probably isn't worth that much. He only has probably two to three years left. But I think at the end of the day... Gobert was traded for all that because I think they saw, okay, we have Kyle Anthony Towns as our starting center. You can make him a lot better of a defensive player if you make him a power forward and have Gobert cover the center. And now it's working out for them. I think they're going to have a really good year. I think this Blazers team is going to have a really good year. And then you also have Anthony Edwards as well to match a great player like Kyle Anthony Towns and Gobert with. I don't think that's that bad of a move at the end of the day. I really don't. I actually like that move for the Minnesota Timberwolves. I think I respect it because they're going all in. At the end of the day, you have to respect that. If teams going all in, you got to give respect to where it's due. And for Gobert, I think he's very underrated. He's coming off a career best in league leading 14.7 rebounds per game last year, a career high in league leading in field goal percentage at 71.3%. Two straight years, he has led the NBA in field goal percentage, so very impressive. 15.6 points per game last year, 14.7 rebounds, 2.1 blocks per game, which is actually third best in the NBA last year, and 0.7 steals per game. And an interesting stat I saw in my research when I did this over the summer, he was number one in total rebound percentage last year, meaning that when he was on the floor, he grabbed 25% of available rebounds. So that means if there are four missed shots while he's in the game, he's grabbing one out of four rebounds. There's 10 guys on the floor, he's grabbing 25% of the rebounds, and the other nine guys are combining for the other 75%. Very impressive, obviously, what he could do on the floor, especially in the paint. He was number one in defensive rebounding last year at 36.3%. So that means when there's a defensive rebound opportunity and the offensive team that they're playing against, their opponent misses. So let's say the Timberwolves are playing against the Utah Jazz. If the Jazz miss a shot, that means Gobert grabs 36.3% of defensive rebounds. So very impressive. That was also number one in the NBA. And I think he gets too much criticism. I think Gobert's a great player. 
He was second best in the NBA in offensive rating last year. 137.4 was his rating. 137.4 offensive rating. Number one among active players in the NBA right now with a 127.43 offensive rating over his career. And you're going to say, oh, well, he shoots in the paint. He shoots five feet out. What are you really asking for from him? That's what he's done his whole career. And look at his field goal percentage. The 71.3% best in the NBA last year. And yes, is he worth three unprotected first-round picks in 2023, 2025, 2027, and a 2029 top five protected first-round pick in a 2026 pick swap? With Walker Kessel, at number 22 overall pick in this past year's draft, and Malik Be- Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt and Leandro Balmero and Patrick Beverly, probably not worth all that. But at the end of the day, this is a blockbuster deal because this Timberwolves team is sick and tired of losing, and I respect that. They're going all in. They're going all in. And another thing about Gobert is how great he is on defense. Which I'm talking about is defensive rebounding. But he's unreal on defense. Had the second best defensive rating in the NBA last year, 103.2 rating. And as I said, had a 137.4 rating last year, which was number one, the second best in the NBA, and is number one among active players with a 127.43 career offensive rating. Then you look at his defense. Had second best last year, as I said, 103.2 defensive rating. He was number one in true shooting percentage with a 73.2% shooting percentage. Number one in effective field goal percentage at 71.3%. And he's third among active players with a 100.63 career defensive rating. So you look at what he does on the offensive side and defensive side of the ball. He's one of the most highly rated players at both of those, offense and defense, both facets of the game of basketball. He is highly rated in both of those. So at the end of the day, I know people are going to criticize that move, but I really like that move. I think he's going to win Defensive Player of the Year this year. And if you look at what he's done over his career, he's been a great defensive player his whole career. I think that's one thing people can't take away from. Three-time Defensive Player of the Year, 2018, 2019, and 2021. Six-time NBA All-Defensive First Team, 2017 through 2022. Has not skipped a beat there. Was the NBA rebounding leader last year in 2022. The NBA blocks leader in 2017. And is a three-time NBA All-Star. And it was an NBA, All-NBA all second team selection in 2017 and a three-time All-NBA third team selection from 2019 to 2021. He's one of the best players in the league, and I respect the move, and I think it's going to really pay off for them. He is my defensive player of the year. Sixth man of the year, I have Colin Sexton, who was actually traded to the Utah Jazz from the Cleveland Cavaliers. He didn't really want to stay in Cleveland since they didn't want to really pay him, so he really only had a year left on that deal. And at the end of the day, or he's a restricted free agent, I believe, and I think what that Cavs team saw was, we're not going to pay him. We're going to obviously pay a guy like Darius Garland. Let's trade Colin Sexton to the Jazz and get Donovan Mitchell. And that's what they did. They got Mitchell now, obviously, and it worked out for them. I think Colin Sexton, he's coming off the bench this year, which is really interesting. I don't know why he does come off the bench. Uh, maybe it's just because they want to see if he can bring them a spot off the bench. Right now, he's averaging 12.2, re- 12.2 points per game off the bench. Four and a half rebounds per game, two assists, and half a steal. So obviously not the hottest start of the season. But I made this last week, all these predictions. So... I really took this into account before the season. So he's my sixth man of the year before the season, really, since I saw he was high in the voting, and I saw he was coming off the bench a little in the preseason. So I thought that was interesting uh, that he was coming off the bench earlier in the preseason. Uh, and now, obviously, he's not having a bad year, 20 points in his first game. Uh, so he's my rookie of uh, he's my sixth man of the year. Excuse me, sixth man of the year. My defense player of the year is Rudy Gobert, rookie of the year, Keegan Murray, MVP John Morant. My most improved player of the year is Anthony Simmons. And one last thing I want to add in action. My sixth man of the year in the conversation, I think a runner-up, will be John Wall. L.A. Clippers, John Wall. I think he's going to be a huge buck off the bench for that Clippers team. And one thing about John Wall is 
he can give you 15 points any night. He's averaging 14.7 points per game so far on 50% shooting, 2.3 rebounds, 3.7 assists, and 1.3 steals in 21 minutes of action per game right now. He's having a good season already for this Clippers team. He really is. He's already succeeding well for LA. And I'm excited to see what he does off the bench the whole season. Maybe if Reggie Jackson struggles, he ends up becoming a starter. But I do like what I see so far to John Wall. And he really didn't skip a beat. He can still drive down the lane, still hit a big shot, take a big three. Obviously not shooting that well. 27% from three, not great. But it's still only four games into the season. He's only played three games. He's only going to get better, I think. So he's played only two games. I think he's going to get only better. He's played three games, actually, 14.7 points per game, 54.2% effective field goal percentage, 41% from the free throw line, 27% from three. I think he's going to get better from that. I think he'll be in the conversation for sixth man of the year. If he stays in that sixth man of the year role. Same thing with Colin Sexton. He can end up being a starter. Since he's good enough to be, definitely. So my most improved player of the year is Anthony Simmons. He is on the Portland Trailblazers. Already having a great year. So this prediction looks pretty good so far. 19.8 per, 19.8 points per game in the first four games of the season. Shoot 33% from three. Two and a half rebounds. Three assists. 1.2 steals. A fifth of a block per game in 19.8 points, as I said, in 37 minutes of action. Last year, only played 29.5 minutes per game with 17 points off the bench. For the most part, did start some games too. Uh, but 17 points per game last season. And now he's getting a chance to start and actually play for this team. Last year, he played 30, started 30 games, most of the end of the season, out of 57 games. Now he started the first four games of the season and is already averaging just about 20 points per game. So I think he is my pick for most improved player of the year, which most improved player of the year is one interesting thing in the NBA because so many of these guys that are listed at most improved player of the year are already good players. Anthony Edwards, already a good player. Brandon Ingram, already a good player. Anthony Simmons, already a good player. And some of those are elite players. I think Anthony Edwards is already elite. And you'll hear that when I give my all-NBA teams. But I think Anthony Simmons is going to have a really good year, especially with more minutes. Now Damian Lillard's back healthy. That Blazers team is off and running. They are off and running. So I'm excited to see, obviously, what they do this season uh, with a healthy team. I mean, they're 4-0 already. So, best team in the NBA. The only team so far that's undefeated that's played more than three games. The Bucks are 2-0. Besides that, those are the only two undefeated teams in the NBA. And the Blazers are 4-0, obviously off to a great start. So I'm excited to see what Anthony Simmons does this year. Now, last up is Tyron Lue, Coach of the Year. I don't even know if this will be close. I think right now, obviously, Clippers... A 2-2, two two. so you can look at it and say, oh, this team's losing games. They should win. Last night, losing to the Wizards was a tough loss. But they didn't have Paul George, didn't have Kawhi Leonard, didn't have Marcus Morris. That's three losses there. And it's really hard when you lose your two best players, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Kawhi Leonard had a non-COVID illness, I believe, or uh, was actually just rest management. He was rest management, and then Paul George had a non-COVID illness, something like that. And then Marcus Morris might have had a you know, slight injury. But I think at the end of the day, people are going to look at this Tyrone Lue pick and think, oh, Tyron Lue, coach of the year, you know, that, that, that's crazy because he has such a good team around him and everything. Well, I think he could have won it last year. And I think this Clippers team is going to have the best record in the NBA, and I think that's why he deserves it. Because everything he went through last year, 42-40 and 40 record, was the 7th or 8th seed before losing the play-in tournament, was the 7th or 8th seed, didn't really have any luck. Obviously, Kawhi Leonard was out the whole year. Noam Powell missed a lot of games. Paul George missed some games. And... I think if you look at it, now he has everyone back healthy. Norman Powell, Robert Covington, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, John Wall. 
I think Tyron Lue is coach of the year. I think he's the best coach in the NBA regardless. Whatever the NBA picks and whatever everyone votes for, I think Tyron Lue is the best coach in the NBA. Going 42-40 and 40 last year, getting key minutes out of guys like Terrence Mann, Luke Kennard, and Reggie Jackson, which all three of those guys I'm big, big fans of. But for the most part, those three guys were basically your best players. Amir Coffey was in the mix and Nick Batum. But those are some of your best players right there. And at the end of the day, you're playing in the Western Conference against guys like Luka Doncic and Steph Curry and Nikola Jokic. And LeBron James. You're playing against so many good teams in the Western Conference, so many superstars, and they were a good team last year. So he's my coach of the year. Now I'm going to get my first team all NBA picks. Steph Curry, Golden State Warriors, point guard, great player. John Morant, point guard for the Memphis Grizzlies, very good player. LeBron James, forward, Los Angeles Lakers. Giannis Antetokounmpo, forward for the uh, Milwaukee Bucks, very good player. Antetokounmpo uh, is great, one of the best players in the NBA. Uh, very big fan of him. Giannis uh, really has dominated the NBA over the past few years. And obviously a tough name to say. Uh, Ante Kunpo, but I'm a big fan of him. I have him in my first team All-NBA. And then rounding out my first team All-NBA is Joel Embiid at center. Second team All-NBA, Luka Doncic of the Dallas Mavericks. Anthony Edwards of the Minnesota Timberwolves. Paul George of the LA Clippers. Jason Tatum of the Boston Celtics. And Nikola Jokic, center for the Denver Nuggets. Third team All-NBA, Damian Lillard, point guard for the... Portland Trailblazers, he's probably first-team All-NBA right now. The season ended today. De'Aaron Fox, third-team All-NBA, point guard for the Sacramento Kings, one of my favorite players in the NBA. Jimmy Butler, forward for the Miami Heat. Kawhi Leonard, forward for the LA Clippers. And then center, Rudy Gobert for the Minnesota Timberwolves. And now I'm just going to write record predictions for every team before I get some call-ins. If anybody's interested in calling in, I know I got a couple people that are interested. I got the sports guru, Mike Curley, and then also Paul from Southie as well, interested in calling in. If anyone else, just give me a text at 617-596-3150. 617-596-3150. Just let me know that you want to come on and we can talk anything. Uh, it's going to be wide open. Anyways, so my Eastern Conference predictions. So in the Eastern Conference, there's a lot of good teams. The Bucks, Sixes, Heat. Celtics, Nets, Hawks, Cavs, Raptors, a lot of good teams. Now I'm going to give you guys my predictions of where I think every team's going to be seeding-wise and then also give their record that I, that I think they're going to have. And I, I did that with the MLB this past year, and it was pretty fun to do and follow it over the course of the season, so I'm just going to do it again. And none of these are going to be right, probably, at the end of the day. You're not going to drill every single one of these records. If any, you drill a couple of these wins and loss records. That's pretty impressive. Uh, so I'll take one or two I'd be happy with. But the Milwaukee Bucks... First seed in the Eastern Conference. I think Chris Middleton being back is a huge help for that team. Obviously, they really only had Drew Holiday and Giannis Antetokounmpo, which at the end of the day, Giannis and Drew, that's not like an only you have. Both of those guys are great players, but they were missing a key piece in Chris Middleton. They're number two. And I think the Celtics would have had a lot harder of a time last year against the Bucks if Middleton was healthy. And if you're a Celtic, I think you have to admit that too. I think everyone knows if Chris Middleton was healthy, that, se- that series probably wouldn't have been the exact same. I think with Chris Middleton, it would have been a lot harder for the Celtics to win. Truly. Second up, I get the Miami Heat 52-30 record. I get the Bucks at 54-28, first seed in the East. The Miami Heat second in the East, 52-30. One interesting thing with the Heat is it really kept the same team for the most part. They did lose P.J. Tucker to the uh, Philadelphia 76ers. He went over to the Sixers uh, in free agency. But they're running back basically with the same team for the most part. Obviously, you have your core still of Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, and Tyler Hero. Tyler Hero was obviously hurt in the last couple games last year in the Eastern Conference Finals for the Heat. Obviously, they were missing him against the Celtics. I think he could have even made a difference last year in the playoffs uh, if he was healthy in those last couple games. One thing I give Hero credit for is he had that hamstring or groin injury, and he tried to play through it in Game 7. 
It just really couldn't. He gave it his all, though. I give him credit. He tried, obviously, and just couldn't run. And I'm really interested to see what he does this year. I think he's in a really good year. He averaged 20.7 points per game in 66 games last year. 39% from three. 39.9% from three last year. 40% from three. Five rebounds, four assists. 0.7 steals off 44.7% shooting. This year, already off to a great start. 21 points per game. 8.8 rebounds per game, which is very impressive. Three and a half steals, or three and a half assists, and 0.8 steals per game and half a block per game. So far on this season, shooting-wise, only 48.4% from the field. But he'll get better. I mean, that's actually not bad considering he shoots a lot of threes. 48.4% is actually career high for him so far. So that's impressive. Um, did a really good game. A couple nights ago against the Raptors, 22 points off 8 of 18 shooting. 2 of 9 from three, so not the best, with 15 rebounds, 4 assists, and a steal. Opening night at 23 points versus the Bulls of 8 of 15 shooting, 4 of 8 from 3 with 6 rebounds, a couple steals and an assist. And then against the Celtics, the second game of the year, 25 points of 2 of 6 shooting from 3, 10 of 21 from the floor, 6 rebounds, 3 assists, and a couple blocks. So obviously got involved on the defensive end. I think that Heat team is the second best team in the Eastern Conference. The Philadelphia 76ers, I got them third, 51 and 31. I think the Sixers are a team that people kind of doubt. Maybe because everyone thought James Harden was washed up. But James Harden's having a great year. Averaging 26.8 points per game the first five games of the season. Off of, and they're playing tonight right now. So this, this is included, obviously, um, in that. But he's having a great start of the season already. In four games before tonight, 26.8 points per game. 9.8 assists to go along with 95.8% free throw shooting. 37.5% from three. 48.6% from the floor. And you look at what he's doing. He's doing it in 38.3 minutes of action, which would be the most he's played, actually, per season, you know, in a, in a season. That would be the most he's played since 2015-2016. So people thought he's washed up last year since he only played, you know, 21 games with the sixes and only averaged 20 points per game, 21 points per game. But now he's averaged 27 points per game with 8.5 rebounds, which would be a career high since, let me see when the last time he averaged 8.5 rebounds. would be a career high overall to go along with, 9.8 assists, which he averaged 10.5 last year with the sixes, but 9.8 assists and 1.3 steals. So I think that team is a lot better than people give them credit for last year because everyone wrote off James Harden last year. He's looking great. And obviously, Joel Embiid in the conversation for MVP could have even won it last year. I know he's had some injuries in the past, but that's a very great team, I think, in the East. I think it's a team to watch out for. Next up, Cleveland Cavaliers. Very young team, but I love what I see out of that Cavaliers lineup. Cavaliers, very young team. Very young team. But I think one thing you got to give them credit for is how they've built the team they have. A lot of guys they have, they drafted. Isaiah Mobley, first-round pick. Darius Garland, first-round pick. Isaac Okoro, first-round pick. Evan Mobley, first-round pick. I said, I said Isaiah Mobley. He actually uh, was not a first-round pick. Uh, I did mess up. He was a second-round pick. I meant Evan Mobley. But Evan Mobley, brother's on the team, too. But... If you look at it, all right, great. Everyone hears me. I don't know what happened. Something just went out there, like the radio just turned off or something, and then the whole system just like rebooted. But hey, everyone hears me. Great. We're still locked in. Uh, let me just fly through these predictions really quick. I got the sports guru, Mike Hurley, coming on. Thank you, Mike, for texting me, telling me you heard me, and then my family as well. Thank you guys for letting me know. I just wanted to make sure. But yeah, something happened there. But let me run over this really quick. So that Cavaliers team, they really built, for the most part, through the draft. Donovan Mitchell, they traded for, but Evan Mobley, draft pick, 
Isaac Okoro, first-round pick. Darius Garland, first-round pick. Three of those guys right there, first-round picks. Obviously made some big trades getting Donovan Mitchell, uh, but I'm interested in seeing uh, what happens uh, with that team this year. I think they're going to be a very good team. I get them 50 and 32. I get the Sixes at 51 and 31. I get the Heat at 52 and 30. Second team in the Eastern Conference. And I got the Bucks at 54 and 28, first seed. Uh, I get the Celtics at the fifth seed, 30, uh, 50 and 32. One thing about that Celtics team uh, is that obviously now they have a new head coach. I don't think that makes the biggest difference. I think Missoula's more than qualified to be the head coach. Uh, I know he's very young, but I think he's more than qualified. But I don't think that Celtics team gets back to the finals this year. I think we were just really set up last year to win. And at the end of the day, I don't feel like the Celtics have as good an opportunity this year, especially considering the Bucs are only better now with Chris Middleton. The Heat are only better if Tyler Hero's healthy. The Sixers are only better if James Harden looks better. The Cavs got a lot better, which I thought the Cavs were going to be a 5 or 6 seed anyways. I thought they were going to be a 5 or 6 seed anyways. And you get Donovan Mitchell, a superstar. Or at least a star. I don't, I don't even consider him a superstar because I know everyone has different definitions of superstars and stars. At least a star in the NBA. Superstar, I know when we think of superstar, it's Giannis, Steph Curry, LeBron James, Luka Doncic. That's superstar level. Nikola Jokic. John Morant's in that conversation, how he's getting there, Joel Embiid. But very good team for the Cavaliers. And the Celtics, I don't know. I'm not the highest on Jason Tatum. I think he's a good player. But I think people think, oh, let's just give Tatum and Brown the ball and they'll lead us all the way to the finals. Which I know last year we made it. Don't get me wrong. I know we made it last year. But Tatum in that NBA Finals last year, he was good enough. You were better off with Tatum on the bench than you were with him on the floor. And I, should, I think that makes a difference. I think the Celtics last year, I think what made a difference for them was that they went on a run when teams were down. The Bucks were without Chris Middleton. The Heat were without Tyler Hero. Now you're down your head coaches. I'm not saying Missoula's not qualified, but Udoka losing him, that's a lot of criticism and negative criticism that you have from an outside perception on your team. And the Celtics, I don't think, are as deep as everyone thinks they are. And that's another thing. I think Tatum's a good player. I do not think he is a top five player in the NBA. I don't. I don't think Tatum's a top five player in the NBA. I know everyone thinks Jason Tatum's better than LeBron James. He isn't. But this Celtics team is not as deep as everyone thinks it is. Look at the Celtics bench. I mean, in the NBA Finals last year, everyone said the Celtics had the deepest bench. Did anybody have confidence with Peyton Pritchard, Grant Williams, or Derek White in the NBA Finals last year? Besides Game 1 and maybe Game 2? When everyone talks depth to this Celtics team, I don't get it. I don't get what everyone says the Celtics are deep. Because when you look at this Celtics team, it's really just like five guys. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, Al Horford. Grant Williams, I guess, as well. But no one had confidence in him in the NBA Finals last year. Robert Williams, actually. The five guys I'd have confidence in, maybe, out of the five, you know, five best players Celtics, Tatum, Brown, Smart, Robert Williams, and then Al Horford. There's your five right there. Derek White, no one had confidence in in the NBA Finals last year. Grant Williams, no confidence. Payne Pritchard, no confidence. And I don't think anybody wants... You know, uh, Sam Howes taking a game-winning shot. Probably not. Although he's shooting 55, 54.5% from three through the first four games. So he's playing well. But nobody wants him taking a game-winning shot in the NBA Finals. So he wasn't going to be out there. Malcolm Brogdon, a great addition, though. I think he's one of the best players on this team. So that's one guy I actually do have confidence in. Another guy. But the Celtics are not as deep as everyone thinks they are. That's why I have them as the fifth seed in the Eastern Conference, which still isn't bad. I know the East has, has gotten a lot better. I get them as the fifth seed. Sixth seed, I got the Brooklyn Nets, 46 and 36. Obviously, now they have a full season of Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Obviously, they had a lot of things going on in the offseason with potentially trading Kevin Durant, but that Gobert trade, with it being four or five first-round picks, caused Kevin Durant's trade value to just be non-existent since no one could really trade anything that would be 
equitable enough for that Nets GM, Sean Mox, to say yes to. So, at the end of the day, Durant stays 46 and 36, and the Atlanta Hawks at 44 and 38. The seventh seed, they made a big move in the offseason. Obviously, trading for DeJounte Murray from the Spurs. I think he's going to be a good player. I think he's a little bit overrated. I think he's good, though. But I think he really was great in that Spurs system since he was the only player on that team. Uh, I think he's still going to be good. Don't get me wrong. But I don't think he's going to be averaging 21, 9, and 8 this year. Right now, he's averaging 19.7, 8, and 7. So I guess he could. 3.3 steals, too. But I think he was just seen as a lot better because he was on a bad team. Uh, I don't really like what I saw over the summer in his summer league games. He was playing against guys... You know, that we're just playing for fun in a rec league and, you know, he's, you know, trying to flex on them and everything. And the Paul Boncaro him had obviously a little beef, I think, too, as well. So, not the biggest fan of him. I think he's good, but maybe not as good as everyone gives him credit for. Uh, the eighth seed, the Toronto Raptors, 41 41. The Chicago Bulls, 40 and 42. Detroit Pistons, 40 and 42. I think this team overachieves and soars over expectations this year as a play in. With a great draft class, obviously, and Jaden Ivey and Jalen Duran, obviously, Cade Cunningham as well, the number one pick in the 2021 NBA draft. I like the Pistons this year to be a 10 seed uh, and make the play-in tournament. The New York Knicks, 36 and 46. Washington Wizards, 32 and 50. Charlotte Hornets, 29 and 53. Indiana Pacers, 26 and 56. And the Orlando Magic at 26 and 56. So just to run down 1 through 15 again uh, in the Eastern Conference, Bucks, Heat, 76s, Cavs, Celtics, Nets, Hawks, Raptors, Bulls, Pistons, Knicks. Wizards, Hornets, Pacers, Magic. Number one seed in the Western Conference. I get the LA Clips at 57 and 25. They are two and one or two and two on the year now. They did play Oklahoma City the other night without Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and Marcus Morris. Heading into their last game before uh, that game against OKC. Since the 2019-2020 season, when Paul George and Kawhi Leonard both played, they were 16 and 21, one of the best teams in the NBA, with just Kawhi Leonard playing and not Paul George, 18 and 11, with only Paul George, 31 and 22. And then with neither guy on the floor, 30 and 34, which is impressive not having two of the best players in the NBA on the floor. You're still just about a 500 team, 30 and 34 in the Western Conference. That's why I think Tyron Lue is coach of the year. Next up, Golden State Warriors at 55 and 27. The Warriors are an interesting team. They obviously had a great team last year, and now they're even better this year. They lost some guys, Juan Descano Anderson, Gary Payton II, Otto Porter, losing those three guys in the offseason. But then they added... Three pieces that were on the team last year. James Wiseman didn't play because he was hurt. But you had James Wiseman, Moses Moody, and Jonathan Kaminga. Three first-round picks there, all top draft picks, top 15 picks in the NBA draft. They're going to be even better this year. I got the Warriors at 55 and 27. I got the Nuggets at 53 and 29. I got the Timberwolves as a surprise team. The Minnesota Timberwolves, I have them as a surprise team. The fourth seed in the Western Conference at 52 and 30. The Memphis Grizzlies at 50 and 32 as the fifth seed. The Phoenix Suns, which I think they're a good team, the Suns, maybe a little bit overrated still for that finals run. I have them as the sixth seed in the West at 48 and 34. I get the Los Angeles Lakers, or I get the Dallas Mavericks actually as a seventh seed. So I have the Suns at six. I get the Dallas Mavericks at seven. The Mavericks, I have at 30, or 46 and 36 on the year as my prediction. Eight, I get the Lakers at 42 and 40. Nine, I have the Portland Trailblazers at 41 and 41. Ten, I have the Sacramento Kings as a play-in team at 38-44. I like what the Kings have as a lineup. Obviously, you have De'Aaron Fox, one of the best point guards in the NBA, in my opinion. Then you have DeMontis Sabonis, a very good big to play alongside De'Aaron Fox. Rashawn Holmes, you have Malik Monk to play alongside De'Aaron Fox. That Kentucky duo there was one of the best duos in college basketball over the last 10 years. That's the main reason I'm a Kentucky fan is that duo right there. And then you also have some other good pieces. Davion Mitchell, a good player. Harrison Bonds, a good player. And then you add Keegan Murray. I like them. And then, then you have Kevin Hurd as well. I like them to be a 10 seed in the West and make the play-in tournament, maybe make a run uh, and beat the Lakers in the first uh, round of that play-in tournament. 
I have them at 38 and 44. I get the New Orleans Pelicans at 37 and 45. I have the Utah Jazz at 29 and 53. I have the Oklahoma City Thunder at 25 and 57. I have the Spurs at 24 and 58. And I have the Houston Rockets at 22 and 60. So there's my rundown right there. I'll just say them one more time. The Western Conference from 1 to 15. Clippers, Warriors, Nuggets, Timberwolves, Grizzlies, Suns, Mavericks, Lakers, Blazers, Kings, Pelicans, Jazz, Thunder, Spurs, Rockets. And then my player predictions really quick. Eastern Conference Finals, I have the Bucks over the Cavs in six. And I have, I'm not sure what I would have uh, in the Eastern Conference semifinals in my matchups. Didn't really go too far into those predictions. But uh, maybe the Celtics uh, versus the Bucks and the Cavs versus the Sixes, I guess. That would probably be my predictions there. I have the Cavs over the Sixes and then the Bucks over the Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals. Or semifinals, that is. So Eastern Conference Semifinals, just to get it right. Bucks over Celtics, and then I have the Cavs over the Sixes. So there's my predictions there. Or nah, maybe not the Six. I'm gonna go Cavs over the Heat uh, in my prediction uh, right there. So Cavs over Heat in the Eastern Conference Semifinals. Bucks over the Celtics, and then the Western Conference Semifinals. I know I was talking about the Timberwolves a ton. I have the Clippers over the Timberwolves, and then I have the Warriors over the Nuggets. That is my Western Conference Finals uh, matchup is the Clippers and the Warriors. Uh, maybe some team makes a run. Maybe the Grizzlies were to make a run in surprise teams or a team like the Mavericks. I don't know. But that's my Western Conference Finals matchup. Clippers over the Warriors in seven games. Eastern Conference Finals, I have the Bucks over the Cavs in six. And then my finals prediction is the Clippers over the Milwaukee Bucks in six games with Paul George as my finals MVP. I think he shines at a big, big moment in the NBA finals for the Clippers. So I'm excited to see what happens there. That was 33 minutes of an NBA breakdown. Now I'm going to see if I can get my dad on, Paul from Southie, to come on and talk about the Giants. And maybe we'll get Mike Hurley, the sports guru, on at the same time. Uh, I think that'd be pretty cool having both people on uh, at the same time to talk sports. So give me one second just, just to coordinate, and I'll just be back with you guys in a second. Thank you. Here we have the legend, Paul from Southie, here on, the, here on air in the studio to talk about the Giants. How are we doing, Paul? Joe, doing good. How are you tonight? Doing well. Great to have you on. Thank you so much for coming on. Excited to talk some sports with you. Obviously, there's a lot to talk about. We can talk about the Giants. We can talk about the Red Sox offseason with Rafael Devis and Zander Bogats. We can really take this any direction, but I'm sure you probably want to start with the Giants, right? Yeah. What a, who, who, have, who would have expected this season 6-1 and one so far? Very impressive. Very impressive. I think Daniel Jones is a big, big reason we are 6-1. and one. I know Dan Olofsky and ESPN gives Daniel Jones no credit, but... I think he's a big reason we are six and one. I know you were the biggest Daniel Jones fan. I thought he had all the tools, but never had you know the coaching, never had the offensive line, the running game. He still doesn't have receivers, and yet he was the second-rated fantasy quarterback last week to Burrow's uh, off the charts game. Yeah, Burrow had a great game last week. Obviously, now the Bengals are starting to catch fire. But one interesting thing with Daniel Jones was he was the NFC Offensive Player of the Week this past week, and one thing with Dan Olofsky was he was saying that. Daniel Jones only threw the ball once in the fourth quarter. Well, look at what Daniel Jones is throwing to. David Sales, Marcus Johnson, Darius Slayton, three practice squad wide receivers for the most part, or backups. I know Slayton's still a backup, but Sales and Marcus Johnson, those are those are practice squad players. And then you yeah. have Wanda Robinson back. But for the most part, he's throwing to nobody. So, of course, Daniel Jones isn't going to be throwing crazy stats in the fourth quarter. But we didn't really need to throw the ball either. Daniel Jones is running so well. You love his running ability. I think, yeah, I know that they call several plays, especially on third down. There's a lot of bootlegs that he's turned into first downs. Yeah, they have. They've been using that, obviously, as legs to their advantage. And one thing I want to point out was how great of a coach Brian Dable has been. 
The Giants are 6-1, and one and they've won six close games out of seven. We're used to losing those close games, aren't we? Yeah, it's amazing that they're coming back like in every win. They're down in the fourth quarter, and then they make a play. They got a Kayvon Thibodeau uh, strip sack. They oh, get an interception by, yeah, by Love or something. Or, uh, Love had the interception versus the Ravens, and then Thibodeau with the strip sack against the Ravens as well. Those, those are two big plays that you're right. Those and are the last Saquon, two drives. Saquon, Saquon those two big runs in the fourth quarter against Jacksonville last week, he had most yards in the fourth quarter. So it's at crunch time. They're certainly showing up. And if you look at it, Dabo's off to a great start. He's actually the first Giants head coach to start 6-1 and one or better since 1929. The Giants scored a touchdown on their opening drive in Jacksonville for the first <laughs> time in 14 games. The longest streak in the NFL. 14 games it took us to score a touchdown on our opening drive. So we're starting to break streaks we could never do. Starting out 6-1. and one. Obviously, breaking out now, starting the game with a touchdown. Another thing we've never done is winning close games. And we're already 6-1 and one on the year. We're 4-1 and one in the fourth quarter when trailing. And one interesting statistic that I wanted to tell you was in the last five seasons, the Giants went trailing in the fourth quarter with 3-58. and 58. Three wins, 58 losses, heading into the season over the last five years. This year, 4-1. Four, four wins and one loss. We only had three wins in the last five years when trailing in the fourth quarter, 58 losses. We're 4-1 and one already. Something's changed. And don't forget that Lamar Jackson, who we both like, was 12-0 and against the NFC in his career until he met the Giants a couple weeks ago. You're right, and we beat him. And we beat him. Now he's 12-1. and And another thing, the Giants are the first team in NFL history. I saw this, this statistic from uh, an NFL stat online. The Giants are the first team in NFL history to start a season 6-1 and or better and have each of their first seven games be decided by one possession. And that just shows incredible coaching is making a big difference for this Giants team. Yeah, I've noticed the play calling is much more aggressive. You've seen a lot of like you know end arounds or those quick slants. Um, I was surprised that the offense is moving the ball when they really have to in the fourth quarter. I mean, we both know their receivers, you know, just come off the practice squad, and we could really use a number one. But um, guys like Sills. James, even I know Johnson dropped one last week. Was it Marcus Johnson? Marcus Johnson, yeah, you got him. He dropped one last week, but he, he's still coming up with plays. And we lost Bellinger, who was having a pretty good year for a rookie tight end. Yeah, now he's going to be out a while. But um, and then what happens? The next man up is Myrick. He comes in. I think he caught a couple of touchdowns this year. He has. Myrick's are pretty right. good. Caught a touchdown last year. I think he has one or two this year already. And one thing I saw with Daniel Jones is everyone criticized him. For the first three weeks when we were 2-1, because, oh, the Giants aren't moving the ball, and Daniel Jones is a very low quarterback rating. Daniel Jones since week four. So week four to now, week four to week seven, the last four games now, right? Because we were 2-1, now we're 6-1. The last four games, he has the number one quarterback rating in the NFL. Number one quarterback rating in the NFL over the last four games. It's incredible. And as the number six overall quarterback rating on the year, and everyone talked about his turnover issues, right? He has the lowest amount of fumbles for a starting quarterback in the NFL this year besides Russell Wilson and Derek Carr. Very impressive. He's, he's, he's turned, he's, he's got rid of those miscues. And another thing I talked about yesterday, his interception per pass attempt is 1.1%. That's second best in the NFL besides Tom Brady. Wow. Daniel Jones has turned around his career with Brian Dayball. This is something we knew Daniel Jones had, correct? We, we knew we had all the tools and... And look what Dable did with Josh Allen. He turned him into an all-pro. Maybe he's going to do the same thing with Daniel Jones. You, you both, I mean, we both said the statistics are getting better. Maybe Jones is on his way to be 
somewhat of a Josh Allen. You know, I mean, we, he he can run like the wind. Yeah, he he's faster than Josh Allen. I know Josh Allen has a stronger arm, but Daniel Jones has a good enough arm. He's very good arm. Very accurate deep pass. was the best deep passer in the NFL in 2020. That's one thing we want to see the Giants do more, which you can't do with Marcus Jones and David Sills. You really, you really need Kadarius Tony healthy uh, and Kenny Galladay, which who knows if we're gonna get ever going to get them healthy. But Wanda Robinson's been playing very well. I know you're a big fan of him. What have you seen out of Robinson? Oh, I love his I love his quickness and his explosiveness. He gets the ball in the open field. I mean, he could take it to the house. Yeah. They just got to get you know, some more plays. You got to stay on the field. Um, I think he's going to be a game-breaker. Very happy with him. He's looked great. He's looked great. And one other player I want to talk to you about is Saquon, which we talked about. We talked about Daniel Jones. We didn't talk about Andrew Thomas yet. Obviously having a great year. But another player that no one really talked about before was Dexter Lawrence, and he's getting a lot of pressure. And Adoree Jackson playing great. Those are two guys right there that, for the most part, Dexter, Adoree Jackson was always good, but Dexter Lawrence is really popping off with the coaching, and then Adoree Jackson had a great year. Two of Gettleman's pieces, which I talked about last night, Gettleman had a lot of pieces that this team has now that are good players, right? I mean, we t- I talked about this last night. I want to get your opinion on Adoree, Dexter Lawrence, either one of those guys, what you see out of the defense, Tay Crowder. What have you seen out of the defense? You know I love Tay Crowder. I mean, just that hit on Derrick Henry alone, he took him off his feet. I can still see it in my head. I love it. Impact player. What was he, a seventh rounder or something? Seventh round pick, 248 overall, last pick of the draft, Mr. Irrelevant in 2020. And he started and he took Derrick Henry off his feet. Everybody saw it. Impact player. Dexter Lawrence having the best career of his, I mean, the best season of his career. career. So is Daniel Jones. So is Saquon Barkley. So is Andrew Thomas. So is Adoree Jackson. Julian Love probably having the best year of his career. Uh, a couple of things. Leonard Williams having a good year. He's probably going to even be a better year now that he's healthy, back healthy. Um, there's another. Darius Slayton now back to looking like he, last week, six catches, 58 yards on touchdown. I think it was a three for 58 in a touchdown. It was three for 58 in a touchdown. But he's starting to look like the player he was as a rookie. Yeah, so a he lot might of guys. He had a deep touchdown, right? Yeah, I think he'll have to be the deep threat if, you know, without Shepard, without Galladay, without Tony. I think it's up to Slayton maybe to get deep and be that threat. I think he can. Definitely. So the Giants this week are underdogs yet again against the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, I know Geno Smith's having a very good year, but I think the Giants win that game. I think it's going to be a close one, though. How do you feel about that matchup? I think if they just get ahead, well, they haven't been ahead too often, but keep their poise because you know the crowd's going to be a factor the famous 12th man in Seattle. But um, Geno Smith, he can beat you with his legs as well, so they got to keep him in the pocket. I think they, um, they're a great receiver. DK Metcalf? He's banged up. He's banged up. That's going to help us. Yep, and then without uh, their, their running back as well, they lost a running back already for the year. Um, Kenneth Walker's now the starting running back. Who was their running back before that? Uh, it was Kenneth Walker and... Somehow it's tough to remember now for some reason. Uh, Is it Penny? Penny, Rashad Penny, yes, out for the year. Exactly, great, 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 uh, great IQ there, remembering that. Rashad, excuse me, Rashad Penny, out for the year. I think um, the recipe for the Giants' wins this year has been stay close, don't make mistakes, make the big plays in the fourth quarter, and I think they can do it again in Seattle. Six and one right now. Where do you think the Giants go from here? The six and one, obviously me and you had high predictions. I think we both around nine or ten wins was, was our prediction. Where do you think we can go? Now you play Seattle. Houston and Detroit. You still have Washington two more times. You have the Colts still who are struggling this year. You obviously have the yep. Eagles once and uh, twice and the Cowboys still once. 
But what do you think the record could be? I think maybe even 12 and 5, 13 and 4, but I think I'll go 12 and 5. I would say 12 and 5. I would sign up for that today, but um, they could get they could get over that 12. Um, I mean, we have a cupcake schedule. The Redskins do not pose a threat to me at all, even though they, they got a nice win last week against the Packers. But um, the Redskins twice, Detroit, Houston. Uh, like you said, the Colts are struggling. Colts are. I, I think the Giants could hit 12 easy. Yeah, I think 12 wins. I'm with you there. We definitely could hit 12. Um, I'm interested to see what happen, uh, what happens there. But uh, one of the I want to get your take on was obviously Daniel Jones is playing great. The offense is playing great. The defense is playing great. Everything just looks great on both sides of the ball. But we've talked about this before. Coaching is very important. I think maybe Dave Gettleman, I think the issue might have been coaching. Do you agree? Maybe to a degree. I know he made some bad moves, but coaching could have been the biggest difference with him, correct? Well, yeah. Brian Dable said from day one he was going to be more aggressive. And we both saw it in the first game of the season. He goes for two points with the game on the line. I mean, I, I couldn't see, what, Sherman doing that or uh, McAdoo doing that? Judge? Uh, Judge would never do that. It took a lot of guts. And I think the team is building confidence from Dable's faith in them. Definitely. I'm excited to see what happens in the rest of the season. I think 12-5 and five is very uh, much in the question. I think that can happen. I think that's very much uh, in the future, a possibility. Um, I want to talk to you about BC football as well. Um, obviously now having a tough season. Things aren't going well, but they could recover this week against the UConn Huskies. Uh, they'll be traveling there this weekend on Saturday at 12 o'clock. Kickoff is at 12 at UConn. Uh, what did you see out of this BC team in the last few weeks? Obviously we were at that Clemson game. You were proud of the defense in that Clemson game. It was 10-3 at half. Yeah, and they scored late in the half, Clemson. They did touch down with a minute to go. Yeah, the same thing happened against Wake Forest. It was a close game at the end of the first half, like 20 to 9 or something. And it was, then, yep, 21 9. I saw 20 to 9. It was, yeah. Allen rises to the top, and we just can't compete. We don't have depth. I mean, uh. The line's hurt. Yeah, we're, we're playing a lot of freshmen, just like the coach said. So we're going to be making some mistakes. So, I mean, it's unfortunate, but. We're probably building for next year. We do have some nice building blocks like Joe Griffin. you got to be impressed with him as a receiver. Definitely. He's looked good. He's looked good, Joe Griffin. I think the one thing with BC that's sad is that their leading rusher last week in that game against Wake Forest was Danny Longman, their punter. One carry for 24 yards. How many games is that going to happen? I've never, never. heard of it. Phil Jacoby yeah. was second. Nine carries, 21 yards, and a rushing touchdown. Didn't have the best game passing. 28-38, 221 yards on touchdown. Not that bad, but considering you were down 43-15, to you got to put up a better fight in the passing game. You can't only have one passing touchdown. Yeah, we we expected Gabo to have a good year. Yeah. Um, rooms look good. He's he's real young. He took one to the house for about 40 yards a couple weeks ago. But, yeah, um, besides that, though, the offense is really just Zay, huh? Yeah, oh, Zay's been having a tremendous year. I mean, he's upped his uh, draft stock tremendously. Um Every time he's out, you know, downfield, looks like he could take it to the house. I like Zay. I think he's had a great year. 10 catches, 135 yards, and a touchdown in that game against Wake Forest. Wake Forest, obviously, was led in that game by Sam Hotman. It was unreal. 25 of 40 passing, 313 yards, five touchdowns and a pick with six carries of seven yards and a touchdown. So six total touchdowns and 320 total yards uh, from offense. But if you look at what they did offensively, B.C., 315 yards to Wake Forest's 428, and Wake Forest has dominated. 29 first downs to 15. BC was one of three on fourth down. Total plays, 75 to 68, so it was pretty fair, actually, in total plays. But time possession was pretty fair, too. But they were just so good, Wake Forest. And BC, as you said, they were in at half, 21 to, to 9. They were in at half. They were there. Just 
couldn't really get much going in the second half. Was outscored twenty-two to six in the second half. Uh, but what do you want? What do you want to see out on this week against uh, a team like UConn? UConn's not having a great year. Uh, they had three and five on the year, coming off a loss last week, uh, losing to Ball State out of the MAC uh, on October fifteenth. So they had the week off this past week and lost at Ball State, a MAC school, twenty-five to twenty-one a couple weeks ago in Indiana. But what do you want to see out of this team this week? Hopefully, score thirty points with Zay and Phil. Absolutely, they should be able to go deep. I don't think Zay can be covered by Connecticut. I'm hoping Takis gets some, you know, third down conversions. Maybe Gawo finds the running game after all these weeks. So I, I expect them to move the ball. And like you said, 30 points would be something I would uh, expect. Yeah, I'm with you there. I wonder what the line is in that game. Hopefully we can get uh, some points on the board. Let me see what the line is really quick uh, and see what people have as a prediction I- there. Nine. Nine, yes, nine, you're right. BC, nine, under, over, under, nine, uh, 44 and a half. BC favored by nine. I think BC should win by nine. Talent-wise, they should, but with Maine, it was close. Maine was up 10 to three at one point. It was a, it was like a one-score game in the second half. Even though we, we pulled away, we scored 38 points. I, I expect us to, you know, to match that total. We have to score in the 30s. I'm with you there. Maine actually had four possessions in the fourth quarter down by 14 points. So they actually had a chance. They threw a red zone interception, had another bad turnover and downs or whatever, and obviously just couldn't get the ball moving on a couple other drives. They had a punt, but they weren't that bad of a team. Maine gave BC a, a run for their money. Actually did. Uh, nope. So you can't take UConn lightly, that means, but hopefully we can win and get you know maybe 200 yards uh, you know, on the ground running because I think running, that would make a big difference. I was thinking of pass the ball, but if BC had a lead, maybe they'll develop a running game for the last five games of the season since they haven't had a running game yet. Maybe this is a game you establish the run. Well, they say you you really need it when the weather gets cold, so that's going to happen in a couple of weeks. So you're right, it would be a good week to start uh, getting a running game and using it when the weather gets bad. Definitely. I think with BC, though, I think they might take this team lightly at the end of the day. You never know. I think my prediction right now, though, if I had to bet, BC wins this game, I'm going to say 34-21. to 21. That's my prediction. What do you got? I'm going to say BC's going to put up 31 and hold Connecticut to 17. I like it. Both of us have them winning by 13, 14. Obviously, BC's coming off two losses now, three out of the last four games. Losing to Florida State, 44 14. That was a tough game. Beating my buddy Malik Cunningham, 34 uh, 33, on family weekend on October 1st. Losing to Clemson, 31 30, uh, on October 8th, a Saturday night game. That was the Red Bandana game. And then losing this past week against the number 13 team in the country in Wake Forest, 43 to 15. Just running over their games really quick, what they've been doing. But I think they win this week, hopefully recover. Now they have 2 and 5 on the year, right? 2 and 5. Maybe they get to 3 and 5. And after that, I mean, you still have Duke. That Friday night game next week, the Military Appreciation Night, that'll be a fun game, Friday night. Then they got NC State, Notre Dame, Syracuse. Hopefully beat, uh, I don't know actually, hopefully beat Duke. I don't know if you can beat NC State, Notre Dame, or Syracuse. Notre Dame maybe, they're a little bit down this year, but. I would love to knock off Syracuse because they're having a really good year. They've only lost one game, what, to to Clemson last week, right? that's it. That's it. It was an undefeated matchup. I would like to knock them down a bowl or two because I know they're having a good year and they've done they've done that to us many times in the past. Definitely, I'm with you. They they're actually uh, playing really well this year, Syracuse. So hopefully, BC uh, gets some luck against them uh, when they play them in a couple weeks after they play. Or no, they play Syracuse at the end of the year, so November 26th. There was or something uh, later in the year. But one thing I want to talk about is BC hockey. Uh, really quick, they just won their last game Sunday, their second home game of the year, beating UNH five to nothing. And one thing I want to talk about was their goal scoring: five goals, two of them coming, two of them coming uh, from guys already on the team, or three of them, and then a couple from new guys. But 
They had Cutter Goudier, the fifth overall pick to the Flyers, score in that game. Uh, I go from Nikita Nesterenko. Had a very good game out of their new goalie, Mitch Benson from Colgate. Obviously tied with Northeastern last week, 3-3. Three three. What's one thing that you're excited about this BC team? Maybe it's the guys coming back. Maybe it's a new coach. Brown. Scott Brown, right? Is his name Scott Brown? Yeah. Fortunate we had to have Jerry York retire, but I, I think Brown is... Um, or Greg Brown. I, Greg Brown. Greg Brown. I think he can get the job done, but I... Thus far, I'm I'm pleased with Benson in 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 the net. I I thought he's uh he seems to be an upgraded goal, and which you really need to go deep in the you know hockey East, hockey's tournament. Frozen Four, if we're lucky enough to get there, so I think Benson could be the guy that we could ride all the way. You know, definitely he's playing really well. Two point two one goals against per game right now with a ninety two point three save percentage. He's two one and one on the year. Obviously, BC starting out two one and one is actually great for them considering last year they started out. Around like at 500, 2 and 2, and then went on a bad losing streak after beating Denver, who you had winning the Frozen Four tournament last year. You had that prediction right. Yeah, yeah, but I remember, well, those teams have been really good the last five, 10 years. I would never count them out. Definitely, yeah, you had that right. Uh, and obviously, against Northeastern, only giving up three goals, which last year, Dop had a bad game against Northeastern where he gave up like four or five. Uh, but Dop played very well at the end of last year, and I know you were obviously happy. With BC making a run at the end of last year, finishing the season like three and two, beating BU twice—that was really impressive. Or US Amherst, they beat twice. US Amherst, right? Huge wins last year at the end of the season. Yes. Jerry York's end of his career, and obviously uh, that's a great way to go out. I know he probably wishes he went out with more, but uh, I know you're excited, obviously, for BC hockey, BC basketball. You met Earl Grant with me a few weeks ago now, uh, and obviously you liked what you saw at him in year one uh, in the ACC tournament. BC making a run in that. What's one thing you're looking forward to this year with, with BC basketball? Maybe just building more? Yeah, I, I don't know who they're bringing in as freshmen, but you, you got to admit, Earl Grant had a tremendous first year. If you think about all the coaches we've had in the last few years, from Christian to um, uh, all the way back to Jim uh, to, to Donahue, I think he was at Cornell for a while. We, we just can't get over the hump. We're in a, a very tough conference, you know, not known for getting great recruits up here. They all go to Carolina, Wake Forest, and Duke, of course, but Earl Grant had a tremendous first year, and I'm glad to see some of the stars came back. Uh, I, I, as long as they can improve on, from last year, it, it'll, it'll be a success. I, I think he has enough talent coming back to do that. Definitely. Makai Ashton Langford is returning. DeMar Langford, Quinton Post, three great pieces right there coming back for the Eagles. Obviously, uh, Jaden Zachary, another good piece as well. Uh, so I'm excited to see what they do this year. I know you'll be excited uh, to talk about them. Um, and yeah. One other thing I want to ask you about was the Red Sox. Rafael Devers, Xander Bogats. What are your opinions on them in the offseason? Obviously, Nate Evaldi's a free agent. Michael Walker's a free agent. What do you think the Red Sox do to start off with Xander Bogats and Rafael Devers? Uh, I'm a, well, I would love to see the Red Sox sign both of them. But if, if Bogats is looking for like Carlos Correa money, like $35 million a year, I mean, I don't think he's that productive. I mean, especially his power has gone down. Everyone loves him as a teammate. He's a, he's a great guy. He had a really good year. He almost won a batting title. He's a very good fielder. I don't think he slowed down too much, but, but the power numbers aren't there. I'm with so you. I, I, I can't give him 35 a year. I don't know what the ceiling is. Yeah, you're right about that. I don't know why. My recording wasn't actually uh, fully, which was going the whole time, but just when Mike came on, it stopped. So really quick, I want to reintroduce him. Sports guru Mike Curley here on the call. Talking to Patriots, talking to Red Sox. Gave his opinion on Devis. 
He said 10 years, 35 mil is what I said. He said give him whatever he wants. Obviously, his home run numbers are down for Bogots, but he'd like to keep him as well since he's a fan favorite. Uh, got his opinion on both of those things. And also now, Bailey Zappi versus Mac Jones. Now we're discussing that. I want to just give that to the recording since it's Also, as a, as a side thing, Bailey Zappi wears number four. I think uh, that's the best number you can wear as a quarterback. Brett Favre, Brett Favre, Taylor yeah, Heineke, Heineke in there, Heineke, <laughs> some great, some great quarterbacks, <laughs> yeah. Heineke. So, Mike, you're it going just with... looks good. I think it just looks good on the jersey. It for does a look pretty fresh. Wearing number four, I like it. It Bobby does look pretty Orr. fresh. But you, you said go with whatever guy wins you the game. But you think Zappy's just been getting in there and just staying hot. Well, and there's an undercurrent current that uh, Joe Judge and Patricia are Zappy guys, so they kind of they stack the playbook for Zappy to come in and. You know, they dial up the big plays for him. Although I'm really disappointed with the playbook so far. Like the um, lack of creativity is no trick plays. When you're lacking in some skill or at least veteran presence on offense, you got to pull something out. You're right. You know, home game national TV, and you know the the uh, who was it? I was about to say the Tigers, but the Bears. The Bears. They don't really pack much punch aside from the run game. You're right. You're right. You got to be able to pull out a play. The Bears' defense is pretty weak. I, I think I was I was disappointed by it, especially when you start losing the crowd. You got to pull out a trick play, get it, get everyone going. But you're right. You know you're not wrong. They about used that. to do it. I mean, what's his? I guess it was Belichick used to call for it, but I guess a lot of them were drawn up by um, for Edelman and Brady by McDaniel. Yeah, Edelman. I think Bill did have some plays though. Like he would bring his hand in. He's seen every play out under the sun. But yeah, so, I think it's when you have Brady and that might make it a little bit easier. I was obviously. thinking McDaniels. McDaniels had a few in his back McDaniels, pocket, the yeah. double pass, whatever. But, so you're with, I mean, even with what's his name, like you get if you're gonna run a wide receiver, take a page out of BC's playbook. Use the Zay Flowers speed. You're the right. Tyquan Thornton kid should be able to do it. You're right. Use the BC uh, Jeffs or uh, Anthony Brown to Jeff, <laughs> Jeff Smith, Smith. And Kobe White. Yeah. The reverse double pass to Kobe White from Jeff yeah. Smith. That was unreal back in the day. but So you're with whoever wins you the game, obviously, Mike. Whoever's obviously is the better game. Mac was a scholar going into the year. That's why I think you're going to roll with him, and that's what it seems the Patriots are doing. Mayo, what do you think? Zappi or Jones? At this point, I, I think Mac's going to – I know he was named the starter for uh, against the Jets. I think it's Mac's, Mac's job right now. I did hear that under that Judge especially is, is, uh, is more inclined to have Zappi the quarterback in – I think one of the reporters, was it uh, Ben Volan maybe, came out and said like a week or two ago that they don't like the fact that Mac like questions everything. Yeah. And Daffy just says, I'll just do my job, whatever they say. So maybe it's coming easier to them. And that's why, like you said, Mike, you referenced uh, the play calling. I, I heard that all week. I mean, there might be some truth to that, but I think it's still Mac's job. I mean, he's got a whole year of experience, pretty much. I mean, he made the Pro Bowl last year. Are you going to tell me Zappi's going to make the Pro Bowl? No matter what. Probably not a Pro Bowl this year. You're right. He is a good underdog story, though. Like You watched him in the preseason, and it was like, this guy probably shouldn't be in the league. And then he comes in against the Packers. I think they could have won that game if they let him throw the ball a little bit. I think he threw like three passes. One was a touchdown, right? Yeah, he threw a touchdown on the yeah the one to uh, Jim Smith, right? He, well, he's actually got a little bit of a connection with Devontae Parker. That's who it was. Yeah. Oh, it was a Parker. Yeah, it was wide open. I remember yeah. that. That was pretty good. But so we he threw a nice ball to him down the sideline last game. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, um, that was probably his best pass. And people give him some. You know, they're saying that his ball to Jacoby Myers was bad. 
because Myers had to twist around. But I think Myers turned the wrong way at the top of the road. He turned inwards. I think he was supposed to go to the pylon. So yeah, that that's bad play call. It might be Joe Judge. Who knows, right? No, I think that, that was actually the best play they had in the game. Apparently, they moved the tight end in motion and they had a pull block, so it looks like a run. Joe Judge doesn't do you any know. motion before the snaps. The Giants had the least amount of snap motion, pre-snap motion last year in the NFL. Number one least amount of pre-snap motion. They should put Judge back to special teams. The special teams have been terrible, too. Yeah, throw him back there. Jonas could use him. Uh, you know me and Mayo like him. I mean, as a guy, maybe not as a coach. But uh, I like your opinion on that, though. Whoever wins you the game, Mayo goes with Mac. I go with Mac. Uh, obviously, it's a it's a debate still. If Mac has a bad game, maybe Zappy's back in. You don't know. Yeah. Oh, I mean, there's there's functionality with Zappy. So, I mean, as a fan, I want to see see them win some games. You're right. Uh, Mike, I want to get your opinion on this. So, they, BC plays UConn this weekend. Mayo and me gave our predictions. Mayo's got them winning by 14. I think he said 34-20. I had 34, I forgot, it was 34, 34, 21 or something like that. What do you got for your prediction, Mike? Uh, Mayo at 17. I mean, Mayo I would, at 30, I'd like to think 17. of us getting into the 30s, but this is after a bye week for PC? Yeah, bye week. Now they're playing UConn. UConn's they better be able to get 35, you know. Both I teams hope. coming off a bye. No, we played Wake Forest last week. Oh, you're right. That's who it is. BC played Wake Forest. You're right. UConn's come off the bye. We lost. All right. Well, you're right. I just broke that down eh. a second ago. So I'm surprised yeah, the run games. The run games been pretty disappointing. Um, I I don't even think it was good against Maine. So I think maybe twenty eight fifteen. All right. And hey, we were talking about UMaine actually. Me and you are big UMaine guys. We like UMaine football. Yeah. If Maine was playing Alabama, there's a sixty two and a half point spread. What are you taking? Maine plus sixty two oh, and a half. Maine. Yeah. Main, main to cover. I would sure. jump all over this. Main 62 and a half. They tackle better than any small Especially with Alabama seen. this year, yeah. Main will cover, I think, a 41 point spread. <laughs> I'm with you. 41 and a half. Him with, the, him with the main money line. Him with the money line. <laughs> the main special teams unit. Oh, it was a lead. They were a lead. They were, and their punch was actually good. They were, they were kicking 45, 50 yard field goals at halftime. BC came and kicked 30. You know, it was actually yeah. pretty impressive. Then the kick return was a lead. That kid had a 98-yard kick return, but stepped out of the 17. Yeah, he housed one. I think they, they blew the whistle on him. They did. He was an absolute beast. Maine was up 10-3 to 3 at that point. Me and you even were like, all right, Maine's kind of nice. We give him credit. Him on the money line. But I'm with you. If there's a 61.5-point spread, people would disagree with this last week here at BC. No way Maine could play Alabama. We'll tell you this. They tackle very well I saw well a better Alabama team, 10-10 at half versus Citadel. So Maine <laughs> could definitely go in there. Maine would go Especially in there. Especially if it was on the road. Work. If it was on the road, Alabama's not a good road team. Maine football, baby. The Maine Black Bears, absolute dogs. I'm with you. There's something about that team. They played hard. They did play very hard. They were resilient. Their fans were elite, too. Me and Mike were a big fan of their fans, actually. They were mad funny. Uh, but, yeah, that's the thing. I think Maine covers uh, 41 and a half, probably. I'd say 62 and a half, easily. Sixty-two and a half easily they cover against me. I mean, with a spread that big, like even the the team that's ahead, like you lose interest. You you, it's tough to execute and score a forty-point lead, even if you're that much better than the other team. You're right. No, it's a good point. It's a good point. Uh, and one last thing I want to get your opinion on, Mike, is the Bruins. Obviously, they're starting off the year hot, six and one. What have you seen out of that team? I was getting goals from a lot of guys. Gray's scoring and. Uh, it's a couple other pieces that I don't even know mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. scoring No, the biggest, biggest story today is that uh, Brad Marchand, who was expected to be out till December, is possibly back next week. Wow. That's He's a already practicing, already practicing uh, full contact. He's not playing next game, but he should be back. So uh, I think the Bruins are, what, sitting at 5-1? and 6-1, and one, same record as the Giants. 6-1, and one, no, yeah, I just watched the game last night. Yeah, they're, they're killing it. The only game they lost was... Uh, 
Bonburner up in Ottawa back to back with travel. Seven to five, wherever it was. And they put up, yeah, they put up five goals. The one thing I do want to see is I want them to get Swayman back in net. I want him to get going because I think he's got the higher ceiling, you know. Definitely. So we got the the slight goalie controversy, not really a controversy going on. Because Omar's been great, but I think in the playoffs last year, he got a little bit exposed. He did. Um, And when we went to Swayman, we won some games. And at that point, you know, McAvoy was out his first game in. Lindholm was hurt. Yeah, there were injuries. Um, Lindholm was pretty good until he got popped or whatever and had that injury. But he was actually, good. actually, he was better after he got popped. Surprisingly, was <laughs> Before he? Before he got popped, he was he, he plays a finesse style game for a big guy. So you know, he likes to skate, possess the puck, but he doesn't like to hit. After he was hit, he realized, okay, I've got to use my body to, to protect myself and, he did, and right? to you know, yeah, he was great. He was good. He was good. He's been yeah. pretty pretty good this year. A little sloppy at the point on the power play. He's got actually a couple goals, so good for him. Yeah, he's played well. Um, one last thing I want to I'm looking for on. them to get Hall off the power play. Terrell Hall's been scoring get, goals, dude. Get, well, yeah, I, I'd like to see him keep scoring, but he's scoring when he's out there with Pasternak. He actually had a nice goal yesterday, the one-timer. He missed the net, but it hit a guy and went in. A uh, nice pass so from Pasta, right? Shoot. That's my biggest gripe with Hall is that he doesn't shoot the puck. You told Felgren that's no. that. I did, and they loved it. It was true, though. He, he, for a guy who gets paid six million, you have to put the puck on net, or at least be a threat. I mean, even David Krejci, who's a passer, he shoots when he has to shoot. Bergeron right. is more more of a setup guy, and he probably logs like the third most shots on the team every year. You're right behind Pasternak and Marchand. So you're right. Um, I, I like your I like your viewpoint there. Obviously, uh, maybe move him uh, off the power play. Um, but Hale's on Hale, uh, Hall's on the power play right now. The first line. <laughs> He yeah, they switch him into brusque. I think he's better when he's skating full speed. Yeah, but the power play is more of a you know you're setting up not exactly stationary, but pretty close to it. I want to get your he's, opinion. He's too on, indecisive, uh, I think. Nah, he definitely is. He doesn't shoot. But I want to get your opinion on Mark McLaughlin. Obviously, Mayo Mayo's a big fan of Mark McLaughlin. Uh, do you think? Yeah, he's, I'm a fan do too. you think he gets a chance yeah. to come uh, come back up from the AHL to the Bruins? Oh yeah, they should. He'll be up. Yeah, it's a long season. He'll be up? I think him. I'm hoping to see Lysel. Fabian Lysel, yeah. Um, I think there's a defenseman. I don't know if Mason Laurie's actually going to play with the minor league teams or not. Plays at Ohio State, I think. Gotcha. Supposed to be a good defenseman. That makes sense. Um, um, but I could see, I could see the Bruins moving on from guys like Craig Smith, Mike Riley. You know, they they waived Riley. They waved Felino. Brought yeah, them back on the team. But they're all back though, right? So how does that work? You wave a guy and then you just come back. Well, you're waving them because you had to keep Marshawn and McAvoy on the team to then designate them to IR. But got you. Um, with Marshawn coming back, you know someone's going to be someone's moving. Someone's moving soon. <laughs> probably a forward. You know, it's probably. I don't yeah. know. Maybe it's tough. No sick too. He's not really bringing much fourth line center. He scored so. a little last year, though. A goal here and there. I, yeah, not not really. Actually, he's he's gone like almost sixty games without a goal. I think McLaughlin in for him would be great if he could prove that he's a good good enough centerman, good enough faceoff guy. Yeah, Mayo's a big McLaughlin guy, which I want to get his opinion on right now before he, uh, before yeah. he goes really quick. Mayo, what did you see out of Mark McLaughlin last year? Obviously scored some goals, even had a couple goals in the preseason. was pretty good last year uh, and this I year thought, in the preseason. There were a lot of great hustle from him last year, and I'm sure once the season gets going and injuries pile up, he'll be called up and uh, hopefully he can produce. You're right. You were a big fan of FBC. You saw a lot of good things out of him when he was at BC, and now obviously with the Bruins scored in his first game, had three goals last year, I think it was like six or seven games, and then also had a couple goals in the preseason this year in the same game. Uh, you like the way he plays. You've been a big fan of him. You think he makes it back up, you said? 
Absolutely. I think he was captain for two years for Jerry York. I mean, that tells you enough right there. He was Plus, assistant and then the real captain. Yeah, assistant and then I mean, the main captain. Yep. Improved his offensive production, too. I mean, if you at his goals, probably from his junior to his senior, I bet he dramatically he did. improved, you know? At 23, his last year at BC, at 21 this past year. 21 this past year. He was good. He's been known for that. So, I mean, he worked at what he needed to get, get rid of some of the you know, improve all his, his game. Definitely. Yeah. He's been playing well, um, obviously, for the Bruins and the AHL, too, as well. Um, one last thing usually we... the young, young guy like that who's going to be bottom six, you usually you can find a way in the lineup if you play. like He can do both center know, and If wins. he does penalty kill and he works on his face-offs, he should be good. He can do both, I think he's, he was he's got some skating, year, he shoots. He's pretty good with the puck, I think. He played center and also wing because McBain was also a center, too. That's right, yeah. Well, I mean, hey, even Bergeron, when he first came in the league, had to play wing. Brad Marchand was a center, plays wing. Pasternak was a center originally. All these guys, so. You're right. There's only one center per line, there's two wings. So a lot of these guys start as centermen, morph into wings. Teams like that type of player because if you get waved out of a faceoff, you know. You're right. The winger, winger comes in can win it. Definitely not. It's important having that. Um, I want to get your guys' opinion on my NBA MVP was John Morant. You guys agree with that? I know you guys are both John Morant fans. So, <laughs> I like Ja. He's been going off. Ja's averaging 35.3 points per game in the first four games of the season. Mayo, who's your pick for MVP in the NBA? Ja? At this, I would love to see Ja win it. Um, I think he, he can go deep, but Giannis just seems to have a hold on that. I mean, you know, once yeah. it'd be tough to beat, but I'd be rooting for John. He certainly has the tools to do it. I'm with him there. I'm with you there. Mike, what do you think? <laughs> Yeah, King King Jao would be good. I think, yeah, Mayo's probably right about Giannis, though. Inside track usually goes to the guy who's got his team in first place. With the best record. That's what I have them at. Best in the, best in the East. <laughs> I think there's, there's I like, you know, winning is important, so I sort of agree with the philosophy. But I thought LeBron would be the MVP this year, but then I looked at the Lakers, and they don't have a good enough team to have a good record, so he won't be MVP. Yeah. Which yeah. is tough, obviously. But uh, anyways, though, one last thing, one last question before you guys go. Obviously, we're talking, we talked a lot of football. I talked about the Giants with Mayo. What we didn't get to, though, was talking about Brady. He's been struggling as of late. Mike, is Brady, is Brady done? Is he heading down the, the wrong path, or do you still trust him in face? No, no. That's just a – you can't, can't bite that fool's gold. You can never say he's done. I, I think it's just – you know, if you take all this time off and guys are hurt and the line's not the same, it's just not going to run as if you've been there for 20 years. Yeah. You know, he's relatively new down there, and they switch up a little bit of the coaching staff. I think Brady wanted Arians out, so I, yeah. I think he'll be fine. He, he's got enough down there. Well, they three and the four, division's though. so bad that they're definitely going to make the playoffs, and once it's playoff time, you know, look out. They're 3-4, and four, though, but, Mayor, what do you think about Brady? I think what Mike just said, if you, all you got to do is make the playoffs and you got a chance to win it all. Um, so Still Brady, first in the division, right? Uh, yeah, they, 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 I think they are. <laughs> they're tied with someone, maybe the Saints or something. They're in the division, so if, if they can sustain and, like I said, make the playoffs. But I remember in the offseason, he lost probably two or three offensive linemen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Tied that's with that's a major deal they have to make, you know? You're right. A lot of offensive linemen hurt. You're right. You did lose a center, they Jensen, for the year. Moppet retired. retired. Moppet retired. Yeah. Uh, lost uh, Jensen the center, and then lost another piece. Uh, Worfs, right? Worfs is banged up, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. All yeah. I think he was too. So got some holes, but again, weak division. Make the playoffs. Anything can happen. They're three and four. So are the Falcons. They're tied for first in yeah. the uh, NFC South. 
<laughs> they don't scare anybody. Marcus Mariota. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're almost a de-, de facto division winner if they can just beat the other teams in the division. You're right. Honestly, yeah. Talent-wise, Brady's better than all the quarterbacks <laughs> in the division. Big Thursday night football game for once. It actually might be uh, the Ravens. at least there's something on the line. I don't know if it'll be a great quality product, but Brady versus Lamar should be a good one. Ravens, yeah. Ravens, Bucks. Who do you got winning that game, Mike? I know you're a fan of both guys. Who are you rooting I for? I just don't see Brady losing that game. And Andrews is hurt, right? Andrews is banged up, but I think he's going to play. Yeah, even if he plays. The defense for the Bucks got embarrassed last game. They should have a chip on their shoulder. That's practice. the other thing. The defense for the Bucks is unreal, and the defense for the Ravens is pretty bad. Andrews missed practice, and Bateman as well. Rashad Bateman and Mark Andrews, both those guys missing practice. Uh, man, who do you got winning that game? Bucks Ravens tomorrow. Uh, who's is it in, it's, it's in Tampa. It's in Tampa. It's in Tampa. Okay. I think the Ravens play better on the road, so I would. I, probably, so. Yeah, I would take the Ravens. But one one thing it's I want to one point that. spread, so the Ravens are definitely Ravens. David. No one point for the Bucks. Basically, I, I like the But usually home is usually home field is three points, right? So if anything under three is is a. Yeah. I'll go Bucks winning a close one, maybe 34-31, But I think it's gonna be close. What do you got, Mayo? The way you said you were gonna say something. I was gonna tell you two years before going into the Super Bowl last year, Cincinnati Bengals. Two years before that, their record they won two games. Mm-hmm. Right, two years they turn around, they go to the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. almost win it. You got to get to the playoffs. And there's no reason why the Cincinnati Bengals can't be the New York Giants. Yep, yeah, I'm with you. There. What is my thing, right? With the Giants? Yeah. Hey, they're they're winning more than any of us thought. Even you guys, big Six Giants fans. So I think it's a tough spot for them this week, but it should be another close game. They seem to be in all these close games. I think they beat um, Seattle. I don't know what my prediction was. I think your prediction, but uh, I'll give a quick one. Yeah, the, the Ken- well, the Giants' run defense has been porous, right? And the Kenneth Walker kid. I think sometimes rookie running backs give teams trouble. At least they give the Patriots trouble. I, I think we can uh, we can stop them. Leonard Williams is healthy. Came on table. He killed healthy. it last week, though, right? He was running everywhere, and and Kenyon Drake just put up what yeah something we, yards we won on the like game. ten carries. Yeah, he had like eighty yards or something. something right, but, right. Um, <laughs> They're running at 100 yards, honestly. It might have been a good day. Uh, man, what do you think of that Giants-Seahawks game? We both think the Giants win. What do you think of the score? I go 31-21 Giants. Part of a good point about we, we have to stop the run bet. It's because we blitz too much that we leave the corners especially open. A, a back turns the corner, and there's nobody there to tackle them. But I think the Giants, and they find a way to pull this out. Probably a low-scoring game, maybe like a 21 I think low 20s. 15. Yeah. 21-15? 21-17, Giants put it down. Mike, what do you got? I'll take the same score, opposite direction. Someone's got to say the Seahawks can win. All right, Seahawks 31-17, Giants, and I got 31-21, New York Giants. Obviously, both of your games are close. Mine's 10 points or two possessions. Yeah. Uh, but the Giants have been winning close games, Mike, so that's one thing that... Yeah, but well, this game. one's close on the road cross-country, right? Is this their farthest distance traveled for a game? Probably. Probably. It's yeah, yeah, as far as you can go, so... Yeah, unless you count London. We did right. go to London. Hey, we won that game, Mike, against your brother. Right, Aaron but Rogers. technically traveling to London from New York is probably a little better than from Wisconsin, right? You're right. It's probably true. Right. Hey, one last thing. Now it's a good this is a good argument here, just to end with. Aaron Rodgers versus Tom Brady. Who do you have more conscience in right now? Both guys are struggling and both teams oh. are struggling. Tom Brady. <laughs> three and four both. They're both three and four. Rodgers hasn't even sniffed uh the Super Bowl and since what, like twenty 20- 2009 or 10? Yeah, but who, do you, who would you rather right now? Both guys are struggling, though. Three and four both. 
Rogers is I don't like yeah, I just don't like the attitude on Rogers, you know. He he's kinda of thrown his team under the boss. His teammates specifically. All right, I respect that. Mayor, what would you go with there? I think the only advantage Rogers has over Brady is age. So I mean if if I had to pick one to be my quarterback going forward, I gotta consider Rogers only because of the age, but he certainly He's a couple years ahead of Brady, yeah. Losing Adams was a killer. Um he, he is a bit of a dink. <laughs> you know, he's always like saying something stupid, I think. But I mean, I don't think I could bury Green Bay just yet. Even though I think the NFC is wide open. It is. Everybody seems down. All the powerhouse, the top seeds seem seem like they're hurting. So, I mean, if you look at... Maybe From last Jeff, year, definitely, yeah. Philadelphia, I don't know if Philadelphia is impossible or not, but, but to answer your question, I would take Rodgers going forward only because of he's probably a few years younger. He's got to be at least five years younger than him, right? I think Rogers thirty nine, something like that. Yeah, he's younger than him, so I would take him only for the age factor. But thirty eight turning thirty nine a month. I wouldn't bury either one of them just yet. Yeah, I think both guys can turn the season. Are both the three and four? They both still make the playoffs, probably. Yep. I, I think Brady's for individually playing a little bit better than Rogers. Rogers is neither one. When he does poorly, he, he quits. You know, he's a he's a front runner guy. Even historically, I think losing by one point. In the second half against teams that have a winning record, his record for his career is like four and twenty-five or something really yeah, bad. It is bad. It is bad. Um, I and that's the last thing I want to end with actually, which I did last night with Paul Gerard, Mark Walsh, Joey Hosey. It was really fun. If you guys want, we can do it. We can close with it. Your three favorite Boston athletes ever. My three. Would you take a second to think about it? My three were Isaiah Thomas, Alex Rodrigo, because I put a current one in, and Manny Ramirez. If you guys can think of your three, top favorite three Boston athletes ever. They don't have to be superstars. It doesn't have to be Brady, Grunk, and Edelman. It could be just it could be three players. It could be a, you know, a guy that you just liked. There was a platoon guy, Mark Bellhorn. It doesn't have to be anything crazy. But what do you guys got? I, I can go first because I have, I have three after I listen. So I got to go Bergeron first, of course, my favorite. Um, then if I'm going... I'm going to pick three different teams. So next, James White, for some reason. I like okay. him. I like it. He was great. A uh, little recency bias, I guess. Beast. And 20 then, points in the Super Bowl. And then Mayo will like this one. Pedro Martinez. Yeah. He was probably my Ooh. first favorite athlete. Beast. And he was a star, but oh, that's awesome. that's a great pick. Yeah, that was a that's a great pick. I respect I that. love it. No, that's a great that's a great yeah. one. Three different Pedro was now. a was a bigger, you know, name in town even through two thousand four than Tom Brady, I think. He was. He was elite. Best pitcher. After three time. Super Bowl wins, everyone still knew who you know, Pedro Martinez was more so than Tom Brady. You're right. You're right. It's a good one. I like it, though. So you got Brady, not Brady, Bergeron, James White, and Pedro. Bergeron, James White, Pedro. I like it. Three different teams. Uh, mine is Isaiah Thomas, Alex Verdugo, and Ramirez. Mayo, what do you got? Uh, first, I want to say I'll need a week. So give me next week to give you my final. <laughs> but if you want an answer right now. You can give me one guy if you got it. I mean, I'm a- Older than you guys, it starts with Bobby Orr, and I'm not even a hockey guy. Mm. Bobby Orr is they've got a statue, Can't beat it. A statue of him. Um, right. Orr's got to be one. How about a dark horse, Doug Flutie, for what he did? I, I would, I would consider him. Maybe he won't be my number top three next week. And of course, I mean, I, I saw Larry Bird in his prime. I mean, yeah. it's very hard to pick three, but just for this discussion, I'll go with Bird Flutie. And um, Bobby Orr, and then Pedro is right there. Pedro, yeah, that's a good three right there. I like Classics. it. 
we got we got a wide range of mine 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 is mine had Isaiah Thomas. Obviously, we you know all the different eras of the Celtics. It was just pretty cool uh, with Bird and obviously Isaiah being years apart, and then obviously with with uh, Bobby Orr as well and Burzer. I mean, we have different Bobby, generations, which I like. Ask anybody my age about Bobby Orr, though, you'll never hear the end of it. Even me, <laughs> I didn't quote right. Bobby Orr. If he was, if he was my contemporary, I would do it. I would. Like, he changed the game. Yeah, you're right. I know he's best best defenseman ever, right, Mike? And Pedro, best player ever. Come on, Pedro as well. I mean, uh, Pedro made when you used to get a commercial, you would go when the Red Sox were in the field. When Pedro was pitching, that changed. You wouldn't leave your seat when Pedro was on the mound. You would go when the Red Sox were at the plate. You know what I'm saying. Yeah, and everybody Pedro. learned how to do math. You would pick when does Pedro pitch next? That's the next time the Red Sox will win. <laughs> Playing the rotation, like let's go. Pedro game. I mean, in, in 99 till, till 2004, Pedro was probably the best in baseball. Oh, yeah. No, no, right. no it's a good one. And, and Joe, I mean, he was not a big guy. He wasn't, you know, Randy Johnson out there. Like, the size, the physique. He was like, what, 5'10"? Yeah, wasn't that big. Wasn't that yeah. big? Six Wait, he weighed like 150. <laughs> he wasn't that big. He was not that big, but I like I like doing the top three. I think it's nice to have a wide range. Um, obviously, with Halloween being next Monday night too. Really quick, top three or top two best Halloween candies. I can go first if you want. Reese's number one, no question. Number one Reese's. Figure why not? Make it a little fun. Reese's number one. I go Twix number two. Milky Way's number three. What do we got, Mike? See, I like the dark chocolate Reese's, and I actually think the Trader Joe's ones are better, but that's not really a Halloween candy. So Kit Kat, like the Kit fun Kat. size Kit Kat, the fun size two, Kit, the two in it. That's good. And I guess Reese's, maybe Fast Break. If I have to go, oh, like, dude, special. I forgot about Fast Breaks. Yeah, I'm with you there. Yeah, I'm with you there. I figure why not? Happy Halloween, right? It's coming Monday night. What do you got, May? Very hard to pick one candy again, but. I've never seen it for Halloween, but I think the best candy is overlooked is another one from my generation. Sky Bar was a great bar. I, I would pick that, but I, I'll go along with Reese M's. Uh, Nestle's Crunch is a little underrated. Um, Crackle, I think, is better than Crunch. They're similar. <laughs> the fun <laughs> size Crackle. The Nestle version, yeah. That's, uh, Nestle version, yeah. Yeah, Nestle Crunch, and then the the Crackle is probably the Hershey Crunch one, you know. So yeah, it is. yeah, no, it's pretty good. I think Reese's unmatched, though. I think we all we all three have Reese's in our top three, which is nice. Oh, Reese's! How can you not like Reese's? It's like not liking pizza. It's un-American. <laughs> we love we love Twix, right? Twix is heat. I, I think Kit Kat berries Twix, by the way. Oh, I think Milky Way is better than Twix. Oh, Milky also, Twix. also could throw in a Mounds or Almond Joy. Those are good. Yeah, Almond Joy is a real big fan. I'd probably put Twix at two, and then I put. Milky Way at two, Twix at three. That's probably what I'd switch to. Milky Way's a heat, though. But I figure, why not? We have Monday, Halloween. Might as well mix it up uh, with some good questions. But anyways, though, I'll, keep you, I'll let you guys go. I don't want to keep you guys all night. But thank you guys both so much for coming on. I'll be back on again Tuesday night next week, 7 to 8. Hope you guys come on, talk about a BC football win. If we can actually get a win, uh, it'd be pretty cool to have you guys on. But thank you guys both so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Right. You guys all have right, a good time. We'll be ready for next week. All right, have a good one. Thank you. All right. Go Bees. Boys. Have a good one. It was great having them on. Uh, thank you to Paul 
and Mike, both of them coming on the Sports Guru and the Sports Aficionado. Both of, both of those guys coming on, talking sports. Nothing better. It doesn't get any better than that. Uh, it was great talking to them and getting their predictions on what they think the Red Sox are going to do with Rafael Devins and Xander Bogats. Obviously, with my dad, he thinks the Red Sox uh, should try to keep both, but he's right about Xander Bogats' numbers going down. Xander Bogats' home run numbers are going down. He had 15 this past year. Last year, 23, 11 in 2021 and 2020. So 2020 is a short season. Had 11 home runs in 53 games, I think it was, which is on pace about for uh, in a full season, 162-game season, about 30-ish home runs. And then the year before that, 33. So went from 33 to 11 to 23 to 15. His home run numbers are going down. So uh, Paul from Southie's right about that. Uh, and then the sports guru, Mike Hurley, said you got to try to keep both. Obviously, Bogots is a fan favorite, uh, and you got to put – so you got to put fans in the seats, and everyone wants to see Bogots and Devis play. Um, but one thing that obviously separates that is how much money Bogots wants. And at the end of the day, Paul from Southie made a good point that Bogots, if he wants Correa money, and he's already old, he's already 31 years old, if he wants Correa money, I mean, it's going to be hard to give him that. Especially considering he's 30 years old, will be 31, you know, mid-season next, October 1st next season, he's 30 years old right now. That's tough to give like a 10-year contract to if he wants that, or seven years, it's, it's tough especially with the home run numbers going down. But they both made a good point. Bogots was playing for the most part this year banged up. Playing for the most part banged up. So obviously not easy to be out there banged up. And the sports guru, Mike Kerr, made a good point. If you let Bogots go, who becomes your shortstop? You have to, that's a glaring hole. Because Trevor Story last year played second base, but obviously had that wrist injury for a little bit, had, didn't play shortstop for a year now. Do you make the transition, put him back at shortstop? I mean, that's something you have to plan for and figure out. And the reason why I want to repeat this, because that was a big... Obviously, conversation I had last night was whether or not Xander Bogats or Rafael Devers are coming back. And then also, it didn't really record in the recording, that part of it. So I also wanted to make sure this was in the recording, because why not? Um, but that's the thing, though. I'm, I'm interested to see what happens. Hopefully, Bogats and Devers both are back in a Red Sox uniform next year. I think Bogats walks, though. I think Devers is back in a Red Sox uniform maybe for 10 years, 350. Uh, and it was great having them both come on and talk about Brady versus Rogers. Obviously, Halloween candy was funny to talk about uh, with Halloween coming Monday night. Uh, it's going to be exciting, obviously. Uh, Candy-wise, I'm a big fan of, of Reese's. Hopefully, I can get myself a bag of those. But uh, anyways, though, uh, and then also talking to them about what they think about the NBA for MVP, talking about the Bruins, Mark McLaughlin, talking about BC football, BC hockey, UMaine football. I mean, we really covered everything there. Celtics with Larry Bird back in the day, Bobby Orr. We covered everything there. So it was great having those guys come on, both of them. Thank you guys both so much for coming on. Always a pleasure talking sports with the aficionado and the guru. Both of you guys are great at what you do and talking sports. So thank you guys. Uh, and also talking about the Giants was really cool as well. So hope you guys enjoyed this. I didn't expect it to be an hour and 25-minute episode. I know I've been in the studio now for probably about an hour and a half. Obviously, we had some technical difficulties for a little bit. Uh, and also, it didn't record for a little bit too. But uh, anyways, thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. Just want to give a few quick shout-outs, as I always do. Shout-out to the O'Malley family, the Key family. Shout-out to Auntie Lisa. Shout-out to the Loftus family. Shout-out to my whole family. Thank you guys all so much for listening. I do truly appreciate it. Thank you guys so much, as always, for listening. Uh, it's always great being able to talk sports with you guys uh, and have you guys hear it. Uh, I think it's great. Uh, and having you guys all text me at the same time is always pretty cool, too. So nothing better than coming in the studio and talking sports. So thank you guys. I appreciate it. Hope you guys have a good one. Happy Halloween to everyone. Hope you guys have a good one. Enjoy yourselves and have a good weekend. I'll be back on next Tuesday night from 7 to 8 for the Primetime Sports Podcast on WZBC AM Sports Radio. And then Wednesday night, 8 to 9, during the segment with a playbook with Joey and Zach. Zach will be in the studio back at it again next week. So thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. As always, I appreciate it and hope you guys have a good one. Thank you and take it easy. Happy Halloween.